show me the way to oh, I'm taking my time on my ride. These aren't my favorite songs. They're not even necessarily the best songs, but rather my life as the playlist. As John Mellencamp's 1986 number two Billboard hit Rockin' in the USA plays with thousands of people cheering and waving American flags and blue lightsabers as they await Biden to give his victory speech in Wilmington, Delaware, the majority of us breathe a huge collective sigh of relief for the first time in four years. Many cry tears of joy. The night Trump won, and I knew early in the evening that he was going to, I cried in waves thinking of how much damage he would do in so many different areas in four years that would feel like 40. I cried for myself and my children, knowing that racism and misogyny and bullying had won. I cried for the environment. I cried for my DACA students. I cried for his Supreme Court picks and how they'd roll back civil rights. Every time I'd stop, I'd start again. I, like millions of us, got no sleep that night, thinking of what I'd say to my students the next day. Tonight is the opposite. I can't stop smiling, and every time I do, I think of another reason to be joyful. I know that the hatred and racism and misogyny ingrained in over 70 million voters, well, in all of us really, who gleefully cheered on a narcissist and a sadist is here just as much today. But I smile when I think about how we're going to rejoin the Paris Climate Accord, when I think about repairing relationships with our allies, when I think about Americans with pre-existing conditions keeping their health care. When I think about every horrific white supremacist, an incompetent buffoon, from Betsy DeVos to Stephen Miller, exiting stage left. When I think about how I can tell my communication students that ethics matter and mean it. When I can open my phone each morning and not have to think about what idiotic thing the president said today. When I think about the hundreds of thousands who won't die from coronavirus now, and about all the dancing and concerts and reunions in our future. Believe me, I know that Joe Biden is far from perfect. I know that already the talking heads on TV are telling the black and Hispanic and Asian and native voters who voted for Biden in overwhelming numbers, whereas white voters voted overwhelmingly for Trump, that they need to reconcile and forgive and move past the last four years. Just hug their oppressors and abusers and move on with the business of a quieter and more civil white supremacy. And that's bullshit. We must hold the Biden-Harris administration to account every single day and we would all do well to remember who elected them and why we have the privilege of holding them to account for at least the next four years. What made the difference in the election outcome was five states that flipped from Trump to Biden. In today's episode, I'm going to discuss how each of these five states flipped and honor each of them with a billboard charting song. First, Michigan, where the votes swung toward Biden by more than three percentage points from 2016 and over half a million votes. And although Trump said living in Detroit was like, quote, living in hell, end quote, and accused the city of election fraud, in a speech the fact-checkers called the most egregious of his entire presidency, according to the Detroit Free Press, while the city overwhelmingly voted against him, again, he actually won 5,000 more votes there than last time. It was massive turnout in suburban areas like Oakland County that did him in. Michigan also saw record turnout with more than 5.5 million voting in the state. Some voters also disliked Trump's rhetoric against Governor Whitmer. He said, quote, she wants to be a dictator in Michigan and the people can't stand her, end quote. Whitmer is actually quite popular in her home state. Trump disparages the cities in Michigan and then disparages their governor, whereas Biden visited and connected with the voters. 
To celebrate his win, I offer Detroit Motown legend 1960s group Martha and the Vandellas in their song, the number two Billboard Top 100 hit, Dancing in the Streets, which was written by Marvin Gaye. Because if you were on social media, that's how millions of Americans celebrated Trump's defeat yesterday with a, quote, invitation across the nation with laughing, singing, and music swinging, end quote. There was no music, at least without most of the artists giving Trump cease and desist orders, and not much culture in the Trump White House. But today we dance again. Second, big shout out to the state of Wisconsin with another three percentage point flip to Biden with huge increases in votes for Biden as opposed to Clinton in Dane and Milwaukee counties and with Sauk and Door counties flipping from red to blue. Wisconsin had a huge youth turnout this year, which also helped propel Biden to victory. Trump did make 10 trips to Wisconsin while campaigning as opposed to Biden's mere three trips. Trump, in fact, made five trips there just over the past few months, including a trip to Kenosha the night before the election. Still, it wasn't enough for him, who was done in by the state's huge spike in COVID cases over the past few months with his terrible response to the pandemic, with the number of liberals voting by absentee ballot, and without having the Green Party candidate or Kanye on the ballot to peel voters away from Biden. Although, to be fair, a Kanye voter might be a Trump voter just as much as a Biden voter. Either way, Wisconsin flipped, and to honor the state, I offer country star George Jones and Brenda Carter's 1968 song, Milwaukee, Here I Come, charted number 13 on the Billboard Country Charts, and which George Jones has also had notable performances with Tammy Wynette, who he married the next year, and with Dolly Parton with this song. Thank you, Milwaukee County, for your huge 83% vote turnout, and to the entire state for turning blue. But there's one thing I know for sure, I'll always be blue. There ain't no way to get drunk enough to stop loving you. So oh, I'm gonna get off that old turnpike and I'm gonna die. Third, a huge shout out to the state of Arizona, who flipped five percentage points from Clinton in 2016 to Biden in 2020, and who also elected former astronaut and husband of Kathy Gifford to the Senate over current Republican Martha McSally, who suggested that Arizona voters just skip meals to donate to her campaign. Well, I guess they were hungry. Technically, Trump could still mathematically win this race, with only 20,000 votes separating the candidates, and I believe as of Monday morning, still a tiny percentage of the votes still to come in, mostly provisional ballots. However, the AP called the state for Biden on election night, and he's winning. If Biden should end up keeping the win, we have to give nearly all the credit to Navajo Nation, who is experiencing uncontrolled spread of the coronavirus. Voter registration has been a huge issue in Navajo Nation in the northeast corner of the state, where many don't have a physical address. The Rural Utah Voting Project has been driving across the state, registering thousands of indigenous voters. Thanks to their hard work there were thousands of first-time voters in their 30s, 40s, and even 50s who said before this outreach nobody had ever visited them or bothered to listen to their concerns. Turnout is the highest it's ever been, and 97% of indigenous voters voted for Biden. While Navajo Nation gets most of the credit, Trump did himself no favors in Arizona by trashing John McCain, 
who he disparaged in his 2016 run, saying about the former prisoner of war, quote, I like people who weren't captured, end quote. Trump, who dodged the draft five times, lost some support from military voters in 2020. In fact, this is a huge story. Well, it should be. Trump actually lost 20 percentage points off military voters across the country. And Cindy McCain endorsed Joe Biden and will serve as a member on his transition team. In commemoration, I offer Public Enemy's 1991 song from the album Apocalypse 91, The Enemy Strikes Black, titled By the Time I Get to Arizona. Chuck D. wrote this song as a protest song after Governor Evan Meacham canceled Martin Luther King Jr. Day, saying, quote, I guess he did a lot for, I really don't want to use the, the euphemism, um, it was not the N-word, but I still don't want to use it, um, but he doesn't deserve a national holiday, end quote. And the people of Arizona voted against reinstating it. The highly controversial music video depicted black militaries assassinating Arizona politicians including detonating a car bomb that killed Governor Meacham in defense of Martin Luther King Jr. Public Enemy's political activism led to the NFL relocating the Super Bowl that year out of Arizona. The state lost $350 million, and in 1993, Martin Luther King Jr. Day was reinstated. Chuck D has been a political activist for decades and most recently campaigned with Bernie Sanders, playing and speaking at his rallies this past spring. He told supporters, quote, listen to somebody, be grown, make yourself important in your local. It's a simple thing to do, end quote. Thank you to all the activists in Arizona and for the millions of voters who flipped a Senate seat and likely the presidency blue. I'm waiting for the time when I can get to Arizona till my money is spent. But I got them rich, neither party is mine. Got the jackets or the elephant. 20,000 Nicky Nicky brothers in the corner. Got the cell block, but they come from California. Our fourth state on the list is the one we've all been watching intently since Wednesday morning as those mail-in ballots were painstakingly counted across the state and the 100,000 vote lead for Trump slowly dwindling until finally, finally, Allegheny County told my beloved city of Pittsburgh where I lived for 20 years, where I grew up, slowly flipped from Trump to Biden, Pennsylvania. How did the state in the entire election look so grim on Tuesday night? And over the course of the week, take us through all the emotions from fear and terror to jubilation as the election was finally called on Saturday morning. It wasn't any huge shift, but small margins in industrial cities and growing suburbs. Biden also performed slightly better than Clinton with white suburban women and white men without college degrees. Biden also saw greater support than Clinton had in the city of Scranton where he was raised. As one Scranton voter said, quote, I grew up three miles from where Biden grew up. You can tell it's authentic. Biden truly loves Scranton. He can talk about it. He knows us. End quote. While Democrats partied across the street, no party is quite the same as a Philly party. As NPR reports, quote, Cheers, honking, cowbells and drum sounds and even confetti filled the air in downtown Philly as Biden supporters poured into the streets with signs reading, The people have spoken. And Philly says, Donald Trump, you're fired. Fists pumped in the air, people dancing on cars, and even dressed as unicorns, Elmo, ballot boxes, and mailboxes. As resident Shane Rousset says, quote, I feel like it's been four years that we've been waiting. I think people have a feeling that our voices are being heard after all this time. I have really high hopes that Biden, Kamala Harris, and their administration can bring the country together that with their leadership, we can unite and move on. 
end quote. Threats from the Trump campaign to challenge the election results yelling about fraud in Philly and Pittsburgh couldn't deter Philadelphians. The tweets were hilarious, with woke but petty, at Mark for Mark, tweeting, quote, I would not fight the sweetest school teacher in Philly, wouldn't scrap with the most gentle librarian. They'll do like six hours of MMA a night and will light a dumpster on fire and throw you in it. Whew, the ass beatings that the universe is lining up, my stars, end quote. Let them recount. The numbers won't change. Although Trump said, quote, bad things happen in Philadelphia, end quote, a great thing happened there with the city and the cities of Pittsburgh, Erie, Scranton, and Harrisburg, all delivering the state to Biden. In honor, I offer Bruce Springsteen's Streets of Philadelphia, which hit number nine on the Billboard Top 100 chart in 1994. It appeared in the 1993 film Philadelphia, which dealt with HIV AIDS. The song won the Oscar for Best Original Song, along with four Grammys for Song of the Year, Best Rock Song, Best Solo Rock Vocal Performance, and Best Song Written for a Motion Picture. Thank you, Pennsylvania. Black and whispering as the rain on the streets of Philadelphia. And now, for the final state on the list, and one which as of today still hasn't been officially called, but which is currently blue by over 10,000 votes, and blue for the first time since Bill Clinton eked out a win in 1992 by 13,000 votes, Georgia. I'm going with the most obvious choice here. Georgia native Ray Charles's version of Georgia on my mind. One of the greatest honors and most memorable experiences of my life was standing mere feet away in the front row of a tiny venue where Ray Charles played live to only a few hundred people. Cliché, but his pure passion reached deep inside my soul and connected in ways I hadn't imagined possible. His version of the song was released on his 1960 album, The Genius Hits the Road. In 1979, the state of Georgia designated his version the official state song. It reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, and Rolling Stone named it the 44th best song of all time. No peace I find Just an old sweet song Keeps Georgia on my mind The answer to how Georgia flipped blue is a straightforward one. Young black voters and the work of black organizers like Stacey Abrams, who founded Fair Fight, and Latasha Brown, who founded Black Voters Matter. Young black voters in the state chose Biden over Trump with a margin of 90% to 8%, while young white voters in Georgia backed Trump over Biden 62% to 34%, according to Circle Magazine. The state's demographics had been shifting for a while, said Helen Butler, executive director of Georgia's Coalition for the People's Agenda, a voter mobilization organization. But no one expected the changes to sway the state's vote so quickly, she said. On the midtown streets of Atlanta Saturday night, much of the diverse crowd celebrating Joe Biden's victory would rightfully take some credit for the political shift taking place in the state. Georgia's actually been a battleground state for a while. Ever since Barack Obama ran for president, Republican presidential candidates have won the state in single digits, only 5% for McCain, 7% for Romney, and 5% for Trump in 2016. And much of that is attributed to Metro Atlanta. It's a huge blue dot with a population of about 6 million and a red state of about 10 million. More than half of the votes Biden received in Georgia came from the Atlanta metro region alone. 
The city has been welcoming new residents every year. People from other states moving there, immigrants moving there, and both have helped to play a role in turning the state toward the Democrats. University student Yana Longchamp said she was motivated to vote following Trump's win in 2016. Quote, My entire high school minus one teacher were up in arms because we were all like, did he really win? Is this a joke? So since then, it was just, come 2020, it's our time. End quote. But other reasons for more Georgians voting Democrat this election can be linked to people like Stacey Abrams. Many have credited Abrams seen speaking to Biden supporters in Atlanta November 2nd with turning out black voters in the state. Abrams is a lawyer and former state legislator who lost her race for governor in 2018 after massive voter suppression and current Republican Governor Brian Kemp overseeing his own election process. Kemp, who served as Georgia's Secretary of State during that time, purged upwards of 1.4 million voters from the rolls, with many registrations being canceled because a person did not vote in the previous election. Additionally, in 2018, 53,000 people had their registrations moved to pending because of the state's exact match law, which requires handwritten voter registrations to be identical to an individual's personal documents, according to The Atlantic. Of those 53,000, more than 80% of those registrations belong to Black voters. Abrams has since launched several voter protection organizations that are credited for getting an estimated 800,000 residents registered to vote. Abrams tells NPR that 45% of these new voters are under the age of 30 and half are people of color. In addition, she tells NPR that she and her team were able to get rid of the exact match policy before the 2020 election. Latasha Brown, co-founder of the Black Voters Matter Fund, which works to increase voter registration and turnout and expand voting right policies, used an election loss to fuel her desire to create change. In 1998, Brown ran for the State Board of Education in Alabama's 5th District against incumbent Democrat Willie Paul. It was her first time running for office, and Brown tells CNBC that the race was so close that it took seven days for the winner to be announced, with Brown losing by only 200 votes. Minutes after the election was certified, she received a call from the state's Democratic Party, letting her know that 800 ballots were found in a safe by the county sheriff. Brown says she was told it was too late for the ballots to be counted. To fix the issue, she was told she could seek legal action, but as a grassroots candidate, she didn't have the money to do so. Though her opponent was a black Democrat, she tells the Alabama political reporter she believes some of the votes were suppressed simply to, quote, protect the establishment. I was so disappointed, says Brown, who now lives in Atlanta. I realized after that experience that voter suppression was more common than we think it is. I keep talking to candidates and being part of elections where time and time again, I would see that voter suppression was a strategy that was used often by many candidates and political parties to prevent people from voting or having their vote count. Fair Fight and Black Voters Matter still have lots of work in the coming months. The fight for Senate control will be determined by not one, but two runoffs, both in Georgia. John Ossoff is running against David Perdue, the racist GOP candidate who made fun of Kamala Harris's name the week before the election, and Reverend Warnock is running against Kelly Loeffler, who is best known for being investigated for insider trading as coronavirus took hold and stocks plunged, and for being an investor in the WNBA, whose own players turned against her after she wrote the commissioner after the murder of George Floyd and said, the quote, 
Black Lives Political Movement Doesn't Align with the League, end quote. Therefore, our work continues. Donate to Ossoff and Reverend Warnock if you can. Make calls, text bank, follow the lead of the community organizers in the state. The results of these two races will determine whether or not Mitch McConnell has a veto over the Biden cabinet. It will determine if we can pass a Voting Rights Act, and it will determine if we can protect health care against a Supreme Court salivating over the chance to dismantle it. Don't toss aside your political pump-up songs just yet. Don't schedule brunch. Get fired up and bring that same energy because the stakes in these Senate races are just as high. Let me know your favorite state songs or political songs at Life as a Playlist, which you can follow on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and keep fighting. Until next time. What do you love about music? To begin with, everything. <laughs>